The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Suffering from heavy menstrual bleeding is extremely common. Around one in five Australian women will experience heavy periods, but sadly, many young girls and women will suffer in silence, greatly affecting their quality of life. So today on MediTalk, let's start talking about what constitutes a heavy period, what causes them, and what can we do about it with Dr Jade Acton, a gynaecologist at St John of God Hospital in Subiaco. So how many Australian women are suffering from heavy periods? So heavy periods are incredibly common and probably one in five Australian women will suffer from heavy periods. Overall, that's about 475,000 Australian women. Of these, half of them will be in their 40s. Um, But the important thing is that less than one third of women who are suffering from heavy periods will actually seek medical advice. And that's why it's really important for us to be talking about it. So why do you think that is? I think because we don't talk about our periods. And the other thing is that we normalise heavy periods. So I'll often have patients sit with me and tell me about how much they're bleeding and will say, I just always thought that this was what was normal. Mm. So it's about asking the right questions um, and letting women know that it's okay to come and seek help. So what do you define as a heavy period? So there's been lots of ways that we've tried to define them um, in the past. And we know that on average, women lose between 40 and 60 mils of blood during their period. But realistically, the important thing is about how it actually affects the woman. Mm. So we like to define heavy menstrual bleeding as excessive menstrual loss that interferes with the physical, emotional, social or material quality of life. It's a very individual experience and for what might for one woman might be a heavy period might not be for another. When should women really start to reach out for help? So there's a few things I think to look out for that means they should definitely be asking for help. So if they're passing clots that are larger than about a 50 cent piece size during their period, if they're bleeding so much that they need to change their pad or their tampon every hour, if they have to get up overnight to change their pad or tampon, or if they flood through their protection overnight, if they're bleeding through their pad and their clothing as they're walking around during the day, um, or if they're having bleeding that lasts more than eight days, or if they're iron deficient and they need treatment for their iron, then these are all signs that they should be seeking some medical help. What is the cause of it? So we can define, uh, so divide the causes of heavy menstrual bleeding into about three broad categories. Mm-hmm. So the first is hormonal. So one of the reasons why women have normal periods is because they've got a great cyclical control of their hormones and they get the signals at the right time, which tells their body to build up the lining, the signal at the right time to shed the lining, and then the signal at the right time to start rebuilding again. So when you've got an imbalance of your hormones, your body doesn't get those signals correctly. The endometrium or the lining of the uterus can grow thicker or incorrect. And then if the body doesn't get that same signal again at the end, it doesn't know to stop bleeding. So some common conditions that would cause uh, this to happen would be polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that's very common. Uh, About 10% of the population suffer from this condition. And then also at each end of our menstrual life. So teenagers will often have heavy bleeding because they're not getting that nice hormonal control. They're not ovulating every cycle just because their system is a bit immature. 
and then also through perimenopause. So in the five or so years leading up to periods, uh, sorry, up to menopause, your periods typically become quite heavy. And it's again because your hormonal control isn't quite as effective as what it used to be. The second broad category about why you might have heavy periods would be structural causes. So is there something in the uterus that is increasing the amount of bleeding that you have? So for example, do you have a large uterus? And this might be just genetically that your uterus is larger um, than uh, the average woman. Have you had a lot of children and therefore your uterus is larger than what it was previously? Do you have things like fibroids? So fibroids are a benign fibrous growth in the muscle layer of the uterus. They increase the overall size of the uterus, but they also affect the ability of the uterus to contract and stop bleeding during the period. There's things that can grow inside the uterus in the endometrial lining called endometrial polyps, and they can increase the amount of bleeding that there is as well. Very rarely you can have cancerous or precancerous changes within the lining of the uterus, which will increase the amount of bleeding. And then there's a few other conditions um, such as endometriosis and adenomyosis, which also can increase the amount of bleeding that you have. The third um, category that can cause heavy bleeding is a clotting disorder. And this is probably the least common, but probably the most common in young women. So conditions such as von Willebrand's disease may be diagnosed when a young woman starts having her periods and they're excessively heavy. And it's because if the body can't make clot, then it can't stop the bleeding during a period. Wow. that's um, And do often by the time people have come and seen you, they've been suffering and, and living with a heavy period for a long time? Yeah, I think so. The two main groups, I suppose, that I see with heavy bleeding are um, young girls. And I think we're getting better at identifying um, young girls who need help with their periods. Um, and they tend to have not been suffering for quite as long because their parents are getting a bit more onto it. And if they have a really heavy bleed at school where they bleed through their clothing and their uniform, we're pretty quick to get on top of this. But the second group is um, perimenopausal women, so women in their 40s. Um, and they're terrible at coming and seeking help. And it's usually been going on for some time by the time they do. And it's because they're busy and they've got a family and children and all of these other people mm. to, be looking up, um, to be looking after rather than themselves. And they often will suffer for many years before they seek help. And then sometimes if, um, can it be symptomatic and then it's actually underlying a more a serious medical condition? Yeah, so I suppose it can be an indicator of an underlying hormonal problem. So, for example, like I said, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that's very important for us to identify and to make sure we're making lifestyle changes for the things that can be affected in the future. Uh, obviously, if there's an underlying cancer, then that's very serious and we should be, you know, getting onto that very quickly. Um, and it also can rarely be an indicator that there's something wrong with um, health in other parts of the body. So thyroid disease can sometimes cause an imbalance of your hormones, which uh, causes heavier periods, or diseases that affect the, the liver can also affect your clotting profile um, and your processing of your hormones and therefore um, cause heavier periods as well. And so do our genetics affect whether we're going to have a heavy period or because often you would hear maybe a mum saying, oh, I used to suffer heavy periods, you know, yeah. I've had them all my life. Do you see them run in families? Yeah, definitely. And I guess there's a couple of reasons why that can be. So first of all, like I said, one of the causes for heavy periods can be just that your uterus is larger than average. And I think that probably is something that can be passed down from mother to daughter. 
if there's an underlying medical condition, then that can often be passed mm. down. So if you've got a clotting disorder such as von Willebrand's. Um, and then even things such as fibroids, we think have a genetic link. And so again, if mother was more likely to have fibroids, perhaps you will. But what you've said is exactly right, is that the young women who have heavy periods, whose mother had heavy periods, will probably put up with them for a whole lot longer than somebody else because it's been normalised for them. And then how young can girls be suffering a heavy period? So quite early. So um, I will not infrequently see uh, young women in their first six months of, of commencing their periods have really heavy bleeding. And again, it's about that lack of hormonal control. So their hormone system is mature enough that it's triggered menstruation, but it's not mature enough that it's giving a nice uh, cyclical pattern to their hormones and they get very disordered uh, delivery of their hormone and then heavy periods. So it's important to identify the young women who are having trouble. And then because you're having a he heavy period, could you then be obviously suffering from iron Problems? Definitely. So yes. I, I think that's the most common um, signal would be iron deficiency. And again, it's often the trigger to make women who have been having heavy periods uh, seek help. Mm. So I see a lot of patients who will say, oh, my GP has said I need to do something about my periods because my iron levels are very low. Mm. Um, so it, it's often the trigger. In, you know, and the heavy periods can also impact so many other parts of their life as well. So the social implications can be really great. You know, there's women who, once their periods are heavy, sometimes they're a bit irregular as well. And if you don't know when this horrendous heavy bleeding is going to start, it impacts your ability to want to leave the house essentially. Yeah, that's no good. And then what are the um, current treatment um, options available for women suffering this condition? So there's lots of treatment options available and that's why it's important to know what they are. And it's a very personal choice. So Obviously, if there is a structural abnormality, so something like a thickening of the lining of the uterus or an endometrial polyp or um, a fibroid that's increasing things, then surgery may be needed, but it's definitely not the mainstay and the only treatment. I um, divide them up again into categories because I find it easier for mm. patients to understand, to understand what it, I'm yeah. talking about. So the first thing I always talk about is non-hormonal medication. So there's two types of medication that we can use for heavy bleeding. One is anti-inflammatories, okay, and the second is a medication called tranexamic acid, which is an anti-fibrinolytic, basically stops your body from breaking down clot. So both of these medications are actually very good at um, helping to reduce the amount of blood flow. They're inconvenient though because it's quite a lot of dosing. So both of these medications need to be taken three times a day while you've got your period. So that's the first one. The second uh, lot of medications that can help is hormonal medications. So something as simple as the oral contraceptive pill can be very helpful for heavy periods or cyclical progesterone, which is the, one of the hormones that's important in our um, menstrual cycle, can be really beneficial in this setting. Then there's the Marina intrauterine device, and this has been a sort of a revolutionary change for women with heavy menstrual bleeding. So this is a device that sits inside the uterus and secretes the hormone progesterone, helps to make the lining of the uterus nice and thin, and it lasts for five years. So that's a really nice way of delivering the hormone that's required to help with the heavy periods in a way that you don't have to remember to take tablets every day. We then look at surgical options. And so 
as I mentioned earlier, if there's some kind of pathology that needs to be removed from the uterus, then an operation may be required. And a lot of the times this will be a simple day procedure that's simply through the vagina with a short-term recovery. And this might be the removal of the polyp or a sample of the tissue to identify that there's not anything else going on. There's then a surgical procedure called an endometrial ablation. And this, again, is a um, low recovery, low risk procedure that's really benefiting women with heavy menstrual bleeding. It's a procedure that is performed all through the vagina again. And then a small wire balloon is placed inside the uterus. The wire balloon is then in contact with the endometrium or the lining of the uterus. And then energy is delivered through that balloon to ablate the lining of the uterus. And what the procedure is doing is it's damaging the bottom layer of the endometrium, which regenerates every month. And by ablating that layer, it's stopping the endometrium from regenerating. So this is a really effective way of treating uh, heavy bleeding and reducing the amount of blood flow that's there with a short recovery. And then the final surgery that can be beneficial for heavy periods is to sometimes consider a hysterectomy. And in these women, it would not involve the removal of their ovaries. So it would simply remove the uterus and um, the fallopian tubes and definitively no more bleeding after that. And for some women, this will be the right choice. And so have you found all of those options effective in the right person? So they're all very individual. Mm -hmm. And I always tell patients that the choice is theirs. And so my job is to help guide them and say, look, I don't think this one is going to work particularly well for you. Um, but if a woman sits in front of me and says, I just want a hysterectomy, then I think that's fine. If a woman sits in front of me and says a hysterectomy is the absolute worst thing I could ever think of and I don't want that, I think that's fine as well. Each of them does have differing success rates in terms of overall, I suppose. So, for example, if you use anti-inflammatories and the tranexamic acid, so the non-hormonal medications, they help to reduce the blood flow by somewhere in the order of 40 to 60%. So, very effective but effective if you remember to take it three times a day and also for longevity. So for a woman who is 35, maybe taking these medications for another 15 years is not going to be appropriate. For a woman who's 47 and hopefully close to finishing her periods, then maybe taking this medication three times a day during her period will be more than enough for her. Things like the oral contraceptive pill tends to be successful in about 50% of women who take it for heavy bleeding. The Marina um, has very good short-term um, results in terms of reducing the heavy bleeding. But if you look at long-term results, probably about four out of 10 women will choose to do something else after having the Marina inserted. The endometrial ablation has a very high success rate. So patient satisfaction is about 95% with that. As long as women are happy to accept that they may still get a period but that it won't be heavy. And the chance of needing to do something else after having an ablation is only about 10%, so it's quite low. And then a hysterectomy, obviously, definitively no more bleeding, mm. but a larger surgery with a longer recovery. Yeah, so it's balancing it all up and, it and taking the time to think about and have those talks. Absolutely. It's a very, very personal choice. And then what about natural therapy? I know that a lot of people will be thinking, oh, well, my naturopath or I've heard that if I could get my hormones right, that might be the answer. What's your thoughts in, you know, that balance between using some complementary medicine mm -hmm. with yeah. some of the medicines, we, treatments we've been talking about? So I've seen lots of patients who've tried some naturopathic um, treatments for their heavy bleeding and differing success. For some women it works really well and for others it doesn't. So again, I think it's very personal. 
My understanding is that most of the natural therapies that are prescribed to women in these settings is to sort out a hormone imbalance, which is again what I'm looking at. And the easiest way to explain this is that most women who are experiencing perimenopausal bleeding, so in the lead up to menopause in their 40s, is due to an imbalance between their estrogen and their progesterone. And my therapy is quite often to give them progesterone. So as I said, uh, the marina or some cyclical progesterone tablets. And the naturopathic therapy tends to be giving them a medication to help reduce the estrogen. So we're actually trying to do the same thing. Um, and I think there's benefit. I'm, I'm always an advocate for patients trying um, complementary medicine. Um, but it's about if it doesn't work, what are the other options? Of course. Can you sort of suffer heavy periods for only certain periods of your, of your life? So perhaps you never had it and then all of a sudden as you said you yeah absolutely so a lot of a lot of women will maybe have heavy periods when they first start getting them then their hormone system will mature and they'll have very nice normal periods throughout their life um, and then start to develop heavier periods uh, in perimenopause the other thing is that the use of birth control methods helps to control periods through life and so I see a lot of patients who sort of come and say, I've never had heavy periods before, but on further questioning, they were on the pill up until they fell pregnant with their first child. They had a baby, they breastfed, they fell pregnant with their second child, you know, um, then breastfed afterwards. And then they had a tubal ligation. And so for the first time in their life, they're not pregnant breastfeeding or on the oral contraceptive pill. And not surprising, their periods are a whole lot heavier as well. And that's when it comes back to that thing where we talked about at the beginning where it's a very individual experience and so for them those periods may then be horrendous because they've never experienced anything like them before but compared to somebody else they may have been you know not that bad or not or nothing so it, it definitely can change throughout the lifetime and is there a story of of a patient that you know you've treated and I'm, I'm sure you've treated so many but particularly really puts across the message of the importance of you know not sitting back, tolerating it, affecting your life. and It's and, actually really you know, hard for me to think of an individual yeah. patient because this is really common and this is what I see all the time. Um, and when I see women come back for their follow-up appointment once they've chosen to do something and they've had a successful result, the joy is actually just palpable um, because they talk about, I didn't realise how bad things were until I hadn't had to have a period for the last six weeks or mm. um, the joy that I haven't had to make sure I'm carrying around a pad and a tampon with me all the time. It has just been remarkable. But it, it is actually hard to think of yeah. an individual patient because I hear that so much. And I, all I keep thinking of is how stressful that must be. Absolutely. To be trying to balance up everything or even be at school and trying to focus and concentrate whether you're mm -hmm. doing your TE or something and you'd be worrying mm -hmm. about this condition that well, you could... school is the same thinking about the teachers. So I've had a lot of patients who are teachers who say, you know, I'm in the classroom with the, with the kids. I can't suddenly run to the toilet when I feel that gush. And the stress of that for anyone in their, in their work is, is not okay. And I will say that to women all the time when they, when they come and they, they talk about the heavy periods and they think, oh, I don't know whether I'm just overreacting. You're not. You shouldn't have to live like that. Your periods shouldn't be mandating what you do in your life. Yeah, it shouldn't be impacting your quality of life Absolutely. as much as what Absolutely. it is. So let's sort of talk about what are some final thoughts from yourself about heavy periods and what's commonly misunderstood about them? 
So I, I think first and foremost, we need to talk more about our periods and just because what you're experiencing you think is normal may not be. So if periods are affecting your life, you should seek help. If they are affecting your ability to do your job, to be a mother, to have a social life, you really should at least come and have a chat to someone. And the other thing to remember is that, as I've said multiple times through this this chat, is that this is a very individual thing. So if you're periods affect you, you're allowed to seek help and you're allowed to have treatment. Um, it doesn't have to be that your periods are the heaviest in the room. And also it could be um, an issue that could be masking or not masking, but symptomatic of an underlying medical absolutely. condition. Yeah, absolutely. That's very, very true. Yeah. And you're never too young to have a have a discussion with your doctor about it. Never too young or old. <laughs> That's true. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. A big thank you to Dr Acton for sharing her knowledge with us today on Meditalk and to learn more about Dr Acton, visit sjrg.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.